And in chapter 13, God set he and Barnabas apart for the work of the ministry. And they've been sent on their first missionary journey. God's sending them out from the place that they had known to a place that they don't know. They're going to a new place, a new world, a new situation. Things are going to be different. It's going to be different culturally. It's going to be different relationally. They're going to run into situations that are going to require extreme, um, extreme amount of faith and trust in the Lord. They're going to be hurt physically. They're going to be hurt emotionally. When God has called us to something, it's not always easy. Amen? What is our culture? What is the lie in our culture that you can have it all and it will be fun and joyful and we downplay suffering, we downplay trials, and yet that is what permeates our lives, our culture, our church. In this life, you will have many tribulations, many trials, hardships. Fear not, I've overcome the world, right? Jesus would say. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. As a church, as a people, individually and as corporately, as as a body, um, we are about glorifying God. We're about bringing his kingdom to this earth, shining his kingdom, his glory, his values, his heart, his thoughts, the way he does things is the way we do things. And Paul has been set apart. Barnabas has been set apart. He's been called by the Holy Spirit to go and to proclaim the kingdom to a people. You have been called. You have been set apart. You've been pulled out of the world. You've been given his Holy Spirit. You've believed upon the gospel and you are sent out into this world right now to be that salt and that light and that love and that reflection of God Almighty on this earth in his image, the image of Christ Jesus. You have the hope of the gospel within you. Now, you're going to run into different people in different circumstances, are you not? You're going to run into religious people. You're going to run into pagan people, so to speak, correct? People who don't even believe God exists. People who are wishy-washy. You're going to run into all these types of circumstances. And so we're looking, as we're looking at Scripture, we're going, this is how God was working and all these things are happening, but Lord, how can I grasp something from what is going on in in, in Paul's life and Barnabas' life and the truth they're teaching? How can I take that and pull it into my life for the here and now so that I, I too, might navigate through this culture and this people and my job and the people around me, my family, and and bring the gospel forward, the good news of Jesus Christ, the ministry that God has called each of us to, the reconciliation of man and God through the blood of Jesus Christ alone, amen? That is your mission. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be like me sitting here on a Sunday morning. It probably looks very different. And probably with very different giftings in very different ways. But nevertheless, the the mission is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost. That is how it happens. And we're all called to it, just like we're all called to love and to have mercy. And this is how God wants to grow his kingdom, is through us, through you. Not necessarily through Matt. I'm here to equip you for the work of the ministry. I'm here to train you, to equip you, to bring open the scriptures to you on a Sunday morning so that you would be fed and encouraged and nourished to go out 
and then take what God has given you and go. And also, you're to be self-feeders. You're, you're to be feeding upon the vine, amen? And so, it's, we see this. Do you have a map, actually? There's a, a journey that they've been on. And so they started in Antioch, which is all the way on the right. They sailed from Seleucia and went to the island of Cyprus there. And we've read all the way up. They, went, they sailed up north. They're into the area of Pamphylia, right there. They went to Perga and they went to Antioch last week where they decided to get, you know, kicked out. It was really great. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been kicked out of somewhere for righteousness? How fun is that? I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty discouraged. So they're preaching in that city up there in Antioch, and they're, they aren't received, uh, half of them receive, some of them don't, and all, there's this divided situation. And then the Jews in the city, they decided to raise up the uh, Hellenistic women and men, those Gentile believers that had converted to Judaism to rise up against them, and they started going crazy against Paul and Barnabas, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from the region, and so they shook the dust off from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And so they're traveling over to Iconium up there. And it says, And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. And now in chapter 14, it says, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the synagogue. Remember that their pattern, the way they lived, was that the first they go to the Jew, then they go to the Gentile. That's their pattern. If there's a synagogue in the city, they go talk to the Jews first. The gospel goes to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. It's the pattern the Lord set up. And so there they are. They go to uh, the Jewish synagogue, and, and there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. The way that they communicated the gospel was so effective. They must have gone to several seminars, taken so many classes, and been very eloquent in their speech, don't you think? If only I can be like that person, talk like that person, say the words the way they say them, mumble like Matt. You know, one of those things. Then the Holy Spirit will use me. Then the Holy Spirit will speak through me. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a place to be learned and to study and to do the best with what God's given us, be good stewards, amen? But the Holy Spirit was empowering them to speak, and it was penetrating the culture. They were speaking and reasoning in such a way that it was hitting the culture and where they were and what the people were dealing with. God's word was coming alive to the very people they were talking to pretty powerful. And so God has this movement. He has this this tip of the arrow that's piercing into this unreached culture. And they're speaking so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed, verse 2, but the Jews who refused to believe, what did they do? They stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. They also spoke effectively, did they not? When you start to reach out and you start to become effective and you start connecting the gospel with people by the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what? The enemy does not like that. And he too will begin a movement to counter that move of God. And what, in this case, what was happening? 
people came and they started sniping Paul and Barnabas. They started talking behind their backs. They started poisoning the minds. They started speaking things that were not true or persuading them in certain ways to come against them. And notice the root of that was unbelief. They would not conform to the gospel. They would not let it take hold in their hearts. They would not be transformed. And when the light shines on darkness, what does the darkness do? It either flees or it conforms to the light. That's it. And you'll find when certain people, in, in my life too, when, when the light shines, that, you know, you, you react, you get upset, or you're like, yeah, you don't like being exposed. Anybody ever have that situation go on? But what the Lord would have us do is to respond and say, yeah, you're right, Lord. Forgive me. Change me. Those people who did not respond to the gospel, who, who were rooted down in their system, they, they responded. God, they, they were used by the enemy to go attack the people who were actually shining the light. And so this, it says, so Paul and Barnabas, what did they do? What would you do if you experienced that verbal persecution? If you had people against you, you're in a toxic environment, and they were talking all kinds of junk about you, and they were getting very serious about it. What would you do? Yep, I would leave. Verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. (laughs) Totally. I know, it's a setup. It's so funny. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Oh yeah, well this is what's going on. How many of us just want to run when there's opposition comes? I do. I don't like it. You know, it's a good sign when you're about the work of the Lord and you are sharing the gospel with people when there starts to become tension, when, there start, when there's warfare about. You know you're on the right track. Now, you've got to have discernment in that because sometimes you might be just off base and you are being the punk. Right? But when we engage in the ministry of God's calls, we start sharing the gospel and people start coming to light. There's a division that happens within people's hearts, homes, families, cities, relationships. And there's tension. And that is a good thing that lets us know we need to persevere. We're hitting the darkness, there's resistance. We need to push in, pray in. Be in the word. Push it more. Stayed for a considerable amount of time. These Galatians were precious that came to the Lord. There were people trying to pick them off one by one. There's people, there's all this maneuvering going on. And Paul's going, no, we need to stay here and, and, and make sure these people know that they, what the word is and be grounded upon what God says and his love and his grace and, and freedom from the law and all these other things that are going on. And so he perseveres in this difficult circ- uh, circumstance. And God, it says, who, he confirmed, well, he, they spoke boldly. Not, they didn't cower, they spoke boldly. They were, they were direct, they were loud, they were full of love, full of truth. They were bold. Where did that boldness come from? The Holy Spirit. 
remember Paul's praying, I forgot where in the Bible, he's like, pray for me that I may proclaim the gospel boldly. Paul dealt with fear all the time. You think this wasn't a fearful situation that he wasn't concerned for his own body and his own things? Of course, that's natural, but he was boldly proclaiming the gospel. It was more important to him than even his own body he would talk about, that these people would know the truth. And he boldly proclaimed for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Notice that miraculous signs and wonders were an automatic. God enabled them as he saw fit. Why did he enable them? To give proof to the message of the gospel. The gospel is the reason that the miracles go forward. The gospel is the reason the miracles go forward. And that's why you read in the third world all the time, people getting healed and all these amazing things going on. And these unchurched, unreached cultures, God is healing people. He's doing things. He's raising people from the dead. Amazing stuff going on for the gospel. It's God who's enabling these things. Verse 4, And the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and the others with the apostles. Flip over to Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 34. Christmas season is coming up. I love Christmas. I actually do. I like it. Yep. This is not the best Christmas verse, though. So the city's divided. Matthew ten thirty four says what? Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. What? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. This is Jesus. I have come to divide the sheep from the goats. My gospel that I bring, I'm not coming to bring peace to the world. I'm coming to, I brought a sword. Now, when we receive Christ, we have peace with God, correct? Correct. So therefore, he is the king of peace. But he didn't come to make everything happy between us. He came to bring truth and light and goodness. And those who receive are on his side, and those who are not are not. This is why he says, do not be unequally yoked in marriage, right? That's why he says, don't go into business practice with people who are non-believers. You have different ethics, different kingdoms, different things. Two different worlds, Don't align yourself with darkness. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And he goes on and says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says it in different ways. If you don't hate them, you know, you're like, what are you saying, Jesus? Hate my, my wife or sister, you know, or whatever these things are? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I have to be preeminent. I have to be paramount in your relationships. I have to be number one. And that's why he talked to, like, the rich young ruler. He walks up to him and says, hey, I want to be your disciple. What do I have to do? Well, I have to, you give all your stuff to the poor and follow me. And he went away very sad because he's very rich. What was the thing that meant most to him? His money. 
I've got to be more important than your checkbook. I've got to rule over that. To two son, to a son, he said, "Hey, let me let me follow you." He goes first. He's all, but first, let me, you know, go bury my father. I want to I want to follow you, but let me first go home and take care of family business, and live out. Let my dad, my dad's old, so let me just spend time with him. And and Jesus says, "Let the dead bury the dead." How inconsiderate! How mean! Jesus, right? What was he saying? You can't love your father? You can't care for them? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have to be more important than the father who you love on earth. Now that divides us to our hearts. That, that, that's a divisive thing in our families, is it not? It can be. When you have believers and unbelievers in a household, when you have people who are Jewish by background and they're leaving their faith and yet they love their family and they're going to follow the Lord and there's this tension and there's this pull to come back to family, come back to these things and yet God's saying, I've got to be number one. I've come to bring a sword and this city was divided. It was divided between those who were responding to the gospel and those who are not. And so expect Tension when you preach the gospel. Expect division. It is not all happy, joy, you know, good times. Expect them to say, I never want to see you again. Expect these things. It's hard. It's a hard teaching. I don't want to experience that. How many of you really want to experience division and tension within your families, your homes, your community, your job? No one. It's the cross. And we don't go out there intentionally trying to divide things, but the gospel will naturally do that. It will naturally divide sheep and goats. It will naturally bring light and darkness. They're incompatible. And this is what we're called to. Called to shine the light of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul walked into. And he said, this is good news, by the way. This is the gospel that God is willing to forgive and cleanse and call out people from a dark world. These things are hard, but this is what was going on. This is the tension that was going on in the city. Verse 4, the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and the others with the apostles. And there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews to get with their leaders. The leaders didn't like this, to mistreat them and to stone them. Verse 6, but they found out about it. And they fled. You know, it's wise to stick around in persecution, but there's also a time to run away. You know? There's also a time to get out. And Paul uses this terminology. Jesus did that, uh, uh, Jesus did that a lot. There would be a time when people would want to stone him with rocks and he'd use his superpower and walk right through him, right? These types of things would be going on. So he knew it wasn't his time yet. It wasn't Paul's time yet. It was time to go. And so, what did they do? They went to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe. So they're moving more south, back again, to, to this surrounding country, verse 7, where they continued to preach the good news. That didn't stop them. They continued. Verse 8, in, in Lystra, uh, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. Now Luke is a, is a doctor, and so he explains three different ways this way this guy is totally immobile. Right? He's going into detail. He's crippled, he's lame, and he never walked. Thank you, Luke. 
three times. He just wants to make it clear. And he listened to Paul, verse 9, this guy, as he was speaking. So Paul's preaching the gospel. He's speaking to him about the kingdom of God, and he's listening. And Paul looked directly at him, and then he saw that he had faith to be healed. This is a supernatural thing going on. He's perceiving. He's using discernment. He's praying and teaching. He goes, wow, that's, this guy has the faith to be healed. In other words, there was a connection between the Holy Spirit and Paul and that guy that he recognized, God, you want to do something here. And called out to him, stand up on your feet. And the man jumped up and began to walk. Praise the Lord, huh? Now, this is in here because this causes a big situation within the city. Reading on, verse 11, when the crowd saw that Paul had, had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. There was a Lyconian legend that Zeus and Hermes, these Greek gods, had come down in human form uh, you know, several hundred years earlier and had... Uh, taken the form of humans and had walked through the city looking for hospitality. And no one showed him hospitality except for an, an older couple, which be, eventually became the shrine. But they, they, so Zeus and Hermes, they wiped out everybody in the city is, is the legend. And so these people are kind of, hey, there's two people. This miracle happens. We don't want to get wiped out. Ah, you know, they're, they're reacting here and they're calling them Zeus and Hermes. And Hermes was the messenger god right? The messenger of the gods, and Zeus was the chief dude. And so uh, they called Barnabas uh, Zeus, and they called um, Paul, the guy with all the words, Hermes. And so what happens is is the priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifices to them. And so here God does a great work, and people are like, I love you. Thank you for meeting my need. We want to sacrifice to you. And when God uses you and the gospel penetrates a culture, when he starts to do amazing things for you, people, families are healed or someone gets pulled out of drug addiction or whatever miracle God decides to do, isn't it just human nature for people just to want to say thank you? And which is good, you know? It's great to be grateful but as a servant of the Lord, where does, where does things need to be redirected? Yeah, but... Oh, do you know where this came from? Do you know who pulled me out of the pit? Do you know that I'm just a broken vessel and God used me? And look at him. And we start magnifying and bringing all the glory and attention to God the Father and Jesus Christ, right? Right? through whom all blessings throw. And so that's, that's kind of the tension here. They want to worship him, like flat out sacrifice stuff to him. Verse 14, but when the apostles and Barnabas, Paul, they heard of this, there's probably a language barrier, so they finally realize it when they start bringing these cows towards them. Now, they tore their clothes. That's the Jewish thing. They, they tore their clothes, a sign of blasphemy, humility, like, oh no. And they rushed out into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing to you the good news. That word is gospel. We're bringing you the gospel, telling you to, what? Turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
So, Paul, is he in a Jewish culture or is he in a pagan culture? They're kind of in a pagan culture. There's not, there's not a synagogue in sight, it seems. And so Zeus is the chief guy there. And so does he start busting out the Old Testament on them? What is he, what is he, how is he speaking to them? What is he talking to them about? What is he appealing to? This is the God who in the Old Testament, blah, 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 blah. Is he doing that? Or what is he saying? This is the God who did what? It's the creator. He appeals to creation. He's reaching a pagan culture, an unchurched culture, and he's appealing to the natural world, the general revelation of God, not specific revelation of God, the general revelation of God, that he exists. How do you know he exists? Romans 1, right? Because of nature. Romans 1, flip over it real quickly. All right? Romans 1, verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, this is very important, verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Well, how? Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, things you cannot see, folks, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. What does that mean? That you know God exists by the very nature around him. Look at the stars. Look at the heavens. Look at the animals. Look at people. Look at a baby. Look at whales. Look at the cycles of the seasons, look at everything. There's design. It cries out that there's a creator. It all is to point to the proof that this is not something man-made. It's fun. Uh, I was listening to a message like John Piper, and he said he was at a conference, and he's sitting there in a pool on the beach, and he was he was just sitting there in this pool, and it's, it's like, oh, in this pool, like, here it is, and it's got all these plants, and it's nice around it. And he goes, and then he looks up, and then there's the ocean. He's like, man pool? God pool, you know? <laughs> this is a man pool. That's a God pool, you know? I mean, it's just like how he's massive. He's incredible. I mean, just to even think about the distance of stars and all this type of stuff. But Romans 1, he, go, he goes on real quickly. He says, uh, man's without excuse, verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Is that not what has happened to our society? And it says, and although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts and to sexual impurity and for the degrading of their bodies and one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is praised forever. When we take God off the throne and he is no longer the creator and now we worship the creation, we do the same thing with the intent and the design of what we are to be. 
God has put design on this earth and the reason and a purpose for every single thing. You look at an orange tree, and the purpose in the orange tree is evident to produce oranges according to its kind. Cats are to produce cats. Dogs are to produce dogs. And yet when we start worshiping creation, we start saying, you know what, it's not what he designed it to be, it's what I want to make it to be. And therefore I can do with my body whatever I want. Can I not? I can, you know, God instituted marriage in our culture, did he not? He designed it. He created it. It's his purpose. It's his call. It's not up to what our government says about it. He made it. Man, woman, period. And yet, because we do not glorify God in who he is and his creation, his design, I will go ahead and deny that, and I will be given over to darkness, and therefore I can say what is natural is no longer natural. Therefore, babies can be slaughtered in the womb because it's because what I want it to be. It's not by what the design is supposed to be. It's just we are broken as a society. We have taken our eyes off of God as creator, and we are now our own gods. And the wrath of God is coming now because nature itself has declared that he is there. How he's designed things. His invisible attributes are present here in this room looking at you. We are created in the image of God. The world around us, how it's all created and how his systems, everything works. It's all to focus on him. It declares his glory, we sang it this morning. It declares his majesty. And this world has fallen, by the way. New heavens, new earth. That's going to be interesting. So Paul is running to these people and he's talking to them. He appeals to them as the creator. He says, turn from these worthless, worthless things to the living God. There are idols, stones, sticks, statues, images made all around this world that people worship. And Paul here is saying that those things are worthless. And we read later that behind those things are actually demons, is what Paul says. When they offer sacrifices to him, they're not offering sacrifices to this rock, this person, the statue. It's what it represents. And Paul says that's a demonic force behind that. He says, turn from these things and turn to the living God who created the heavens, the earth, the seas, who created the very sticks that you're using to form a God out of. And this is a mini-sermon of, of, of Mars Hill uh, back in, in Acts 17 there. And he goes on, he says, In the past, all the nations, uh, he let all nations get their own way. I'm sorry, go their own way. And yet he has not let himself without testimony. This is what we were talking about, to cre- about creation. <laughs> this is how God gives his own testimony to those. And he has shown his kindness by giving you rain. He's given you water from the heavens and crops. In their season, he provides plenty of food. So he's giving you water and food, and he fills your hearts with joy. Look how good God is. All this is supposed to point, all that we have is supposed to point to the goodness of God, the provision. This is called common grace. The goodness that he puts upon people of all places, all over the world, because it's to declare his heart. He is a loving, kind providing God. He cares for people deeply. This is who he is. 
And look, and, and then verse 18 says, even with these words, as they're trying to talk to him, he says, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them, so they really like Paul and Barnabas, don't they? They are the best. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. How, what in the world? One minute they're going to worship them, and the next minute what happens? That's why I laugh at the political cycle. Oh, look at what happened in the house. That means this. And like, you have no idea. People are so fickle. It's, they're just, we're going to go all over the place. It's just, it's crazy. And so it is with people when we preach the gospel. And we're there, and some people will gravitate towards, and the next minute you say something wrong, or someone turns against it, and you're like, all of a sudden, wow, they turn against you. You're just like, what in the world is that? Where did that come from? Well, like we said, the work that you're set out to do, the enemy also wants to counter. And how does he do it? He does it through political figures. He does it through all sorts of things we've been reading through. Look at the, the, the opposition to the gospel. It comes from within the church. It comes from outside the church. It comes all over the place. And so they took Paul and they, they took him outside the city. Outside, they stoned Paul and they dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Flip over real quickly in closing to Second um, Corinthians chapter 12. It's right from Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12. This is when many people believe that Paul died or he might have been died. This is what Paul is talking about here. Verse t- chapter 12, uh, verse 2. This is Paul speaking. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know this, that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, he was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that are not, not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. And Paul is being facetious here. He's just going crazy. So it might have been at this time that Paul gets caught up to the third heaven and has this incredible vision of glory. And um, so anyways... He might have died right here and somehow been resurrected by the brethren or he might have not been dead. But it says, and it says right there, it says, uh, verse 20, but after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. In verse 21, they decided to quit because it was too dangerous. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. And then they turned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true in the faith. They're coming back up the cycle now. They're going back the same way they came. They, they reached their end destination. They're coming back around. They're going to go home. And what do they do? They strengthen and encourage. When people come to the Lord, what do they need? Strengthening and encouraging. You need strengthening and encouraging. Strengthening and encouraging in the Word, in the Lord. And so that's what they're doing. And it encouraged him to reign true in the faith. And he said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And in verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church uh, with 
and with prayer and fasted, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Real quickly, flip over to, uh, actually, I'll just read it to you. Hebrews 13. So Paul is appointing Hebrews. Uh, he's not appointing Hebrews. He's, he's appointing elders. And where is it? Did I write it down? So yeah, sorry, 17. 13, 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you. And this is my, my, I'm not trying to tell you to obey, but it, obviously it says that. But it says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. So these elders are placed over the city and they're going to have to give an account to God for what they do. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that, uh, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so the shepherds are to do two things real quickly. The shepherds are to feed the sheep and to govern the sheep. That's what kind of we do, feed and govern those things in the things of the Lord. We're to feed you the word of God, to tend to your needs, right, in that, and spiritually, and to make sure you're taken care of and practically in many things. And so that's kind of how... Uh, what, the reason for elders being set up over the cities. And uh, each church had them, and they did it with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And after going through the city, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had reached and preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia and ready. They're back to go sail again. And uh, for verse 26, and from Attilia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. So they completed their first missionary journey. And on arriving there, they gathered the church together, and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened doors of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Notice in closing, who did the work the whole time? God did the work that God did through them. Look at those verses. They reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Are you concerned about sharing your faith with the Lord? Are you concerned about sharing the gospel with people? Are you concerned about whether or not, how they'll respond, all those things? Underline those verses. It's God who does it through you. It's God who does it through you. He will open the doors to the Gentiles, to your neighbors, to the place. It's him. And what is the gospel that we would turn? We would repent is the Christianese word. We would turn from the evil that God has commanded us to turn from and turn to the living God. We not only turn away from it, but we turn to the living God. And how does that happen? How does God accept us? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's it. By faith, God provided the way through Jesus Christ, and that's the message we preach to the world. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your gospel. We thank you for your word. And Lord, as next week we get into some pretty heavy stuff, we ask that you would um, guide us this week. We pray for the doors that you would open in this city. We pray that you would open them and no man would shut them. We pray that for the person in this room who is nervous or scared or 
uh, just unsure of how to go about things, Lord, that they would just in their heart of hearts, Lord, you communicate to them that you will lead them, you will guide them, you will open the doors, and you will do a great work through them as they submit to you. And Lord, how that looks, we look forward to. And the various ways you'll do it, we look forward to. So use us, Lord, as your children, as your light. And I pray that as we come in, when we come into resistance, Lord, we wouldn't lose heart, that we'd persevere. I pray that we would go forward in your kingdom and in your way and in your power for your glory, Lord. And so anoint and bless your church this week with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with power and help them to see the mission field that you have called them to and you will empower them to walk through in this life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.